Morning, everyone. Good morning. Jesus really is alive. Uh, I loved what Jim said. The Easter, it, it's nothing but the story. In, in fact, where were the disciples after Easter? They were basically hiding in a room. They were despairing. They were hiding. They had no idea what was going on. And even once they admitted that Jesus really had raised from the dead, they'd seen the hands, they'd seen his side. They still didn't get the picture. <laughs> you can see this in Acts 1, right? At the beginning of Acts 1, they say, Hey, Jesus, are you going to restore Israel now? Jesus said, That's none of your business. It's fact, in fact, I don't know the day. That's for the Father to decide. But you're going to be my witnesses. And, um, you know, they were still scared. But the Holy Spirit came in power, and they became powerful witnesses. That's actually where we're still at right now. So post-Easter is this. It is the church. And we're his witnesses. So thank you for these songs. I loved it. It's just exactly um, where we find ourselves and, and why I'm bringing Jonah to you. Because Jonah is supposed to be God's witness, but he struggles. So let's get into that, but let me first pray so that the Lord will direct what I say. Lord God, thanks for this opportunity. Thank you for stories like Jonah that amaze us. They don't end how we think they will. Um, help us to understand it. Help me to say the right thing. And help people to forget anything strange, I say. Lord, I just ask that you would use it. You would use it to change our thinking and our behavior so that we would walk out different having heard your word. We pray all of this in the name of your Savior, Jesus Christ, who is alive. Amen. So, you know the story. I bet the vast majority of you know the story of Jonah. I'm therefore going to mostly spend time in chapters 3 and 4, because that's where we kind of tend to miss who Jonah really is. And you know, I heard this story as a child. Jonah, he disobeyed God, and then he obeyed God, and he went and did what God told him. Okay, the text actually does say that. It does say he obeyed God. But Jonah really struggles with a God who is gracious to everyone. So we're going to see that. But who is this guy? It, it helps to understand this. This is not just information. This is here for a reason. Jonah served in northern Israel. Okay, so Israel divided north and south after Solomon. His sons divided the kingdom north and south. The northern kingdom basically was apostate. They tried to worship in, in false worship sites. Their kings were mostly terrible, but Jeroboam II was a long-standing one, and this is whom Jonah serves as a prophet. 700 BC, this might ring a bell for a few people. 722, Samaria's attacked, essentially Assyria, the enemy of Israel, destroys Israel and people are scattered. The northern kingdom is no more. <coughs> The capital city? Nineveh. Enemies of Israel. All right. Jonah serves in the north. Assyria is his enemy. Nineveh is the big old capital. 
Keep that in mind. So what's Jonah tried to do to this point? God said, arise, go to Nineveh, because their sin is before me. All right, God acknowledges there's a big problem with Nineveh. Why wouldn't Jonah go? I mean, he's a prophet. He believes in God. He apparently doesn't have a problem with the message of condemnation, as we'll see. But instead, he goes and sails as far away as he possibly can without hitting the Atlantic Ocean. At least he tries. So he gets on a boat in Joppa, runs to Tarshish, except for somewhere in the middle. Uh, the storm gets so bad and the sailors are so afraid that they pray to God for help, who they hardly know. They just know it's Jonah's God, and Jonah's made him mad. So they eventually throw Jonah over the side. He's swallowed by some kind of giant fish. He prays for help because he's desperate. Um, we're not going to read it, but he never admits he's sorry. <laughs> you should read it. Read it, Jonah 2 when you have time. He doesn't say to God, I sinned, I made a mistake. No, he's just praying for help because he's desperate. And now, Jonah's been spit out graciously by God, and he's on dry land. All right, well, now what, Jonah? You didn't do what God told you to. You tried to run, but God Almighty did not let you get away. He's reluctant. All right, he, he doesn't really want to go to Nineveh. And we'll see why. He's self-righteous, which is not what we get taught in Sunday school so much. You can see this at the end of Jonah 2. Jonah 2, verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. He's talking about Nineveh. Even in his prayer for help, he's comparing himself to Nineveh and saying, at least, Lord, I'm not like them. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. Sacrifice... Okay, maybe a Thanksgiving offering, not a, not a sin offering or anything like that. What I have vowed I will pay, salvation belongs to the Lord. God, I know that you're a saving God, and you can save me from this. And sure enough, God does. The Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah on dry land. All right, so what does Jonah do? Well, it, actually, chapter 3 says he obeyed the Lord. He obeyed the Lord and went to Nineveh. With what message? In Hebrew, it's five words. Just until 40 days, 40 days, Nineveh will be overturned. It's only five words in Hebrew. That's all that's recorded here. Jonah really got to the point, or he kind of stuck to the point he wanted to make. It doesn't say what God told him to do specifically. And it says he obeyed. But imagine, these are stories that are sculpted by intelligent authors. Okay, this is not a funny scroll we found somewhere. This is God intended to give us this story with this information. Jonah only says, 40 days and you're doomed. That's, that's all Jonah wants to say. Or at least that's what the author wanted to record him saying. Why? Because Jonah doesn't want to see God's grace outpoured on Nineveh. He's looking at God's judgment, and well, if I'm going to show up at least 
hopefully I get to watch them burn. And that's, it's sad, but that's where he's at. And that's what we'll see in chapter four. So let me read chapters three and four now. I've talked enough about a text we haven't even read. Uh, I picked up the ESV Pew Bible, assuming that's what is used a lot here. All right, Jonah 3 and 4. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I'll tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in its breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reaching the, reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. This is the king of the biggest country, the biggest people, most powerful in the area, sitting in ashes. Verse 7. He issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands, and who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger, so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it dis pleased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was in my country? That that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. It would be better for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Other translations would say here, Do you have a right to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat east of the city and made a booth for himself there, and he sat under it in the shade till he could see, uh, till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when, drawn, when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God approached, appointed sorry, a scorching east wind, and the sun began to beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to live, die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry about the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, 
nor did you make it grow, which came into being in the night and perished in the night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left hand and also much cattle? <coughs> Nineveh repents. Jonah is saying, what? This isn't supposed to happen. This isn't what I wanted. Nineveh is kind of like the most unlikely to succeed. No understanding of God. God says they don't know their right hand from their left hand, meaning they can't tell the difference between good and evil. They don't know the difference. Or they're not very wise. Yet their repentance is evident, so much more evident than Jonah's. Outward signs, you know, they put on sackcloth, they sit in ashes from the king to the lowliest person. The, the king says that they need to put away their wicked deeds. And it's everyone in his cow. They make the cows fast. <laughs> they, they can't be any more clearly repentant. Now, of course, not for long. But does that bother God at this moment? No. He relents from disaster. This is the level of God's grace for people. God knows some people that repent might be fickle in the end. And yet, they're repenting. They're changing their behavior. And, and God says, all right, you get my mercy. And this just shocks and bugs Jonah. By now, he's been in the bleachers with popcorn. He's just like waiting to see what's going to happen in the next inning. And yet, it doesn't turn out the way he wants it at all. Why does this make him so upset? Because he knows who God is. Now, what he quotes here, this is what God said to Moses when Moses was hiding in the cleft of the rock, right? Gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in kindness and faithfulness. This is repeated again and again in the Old Testament. This is God's nature. Jonah knows who God is. Right? So there's not a lack of knowledge. There's probably not even a lack of really belief in God's character. Maybe. But he doesn't like what's happening. God says, you don't have a right to be angry like this. This is misplaced. This is not a place. You're angry about people who repented or are being given a second chance. Also, you have misplaced compassion. You should have compassion on these people, and instead of plant, you did nothing for it. Sure, it shot up one day and withered the next, but you should care about the number of people. And God says you should even care about the cows. He says at the very end, 120 persons who don't know the difference between good and evil, right hand and left hand, and also many cattle. This is God's level of compassion, not just the people, but even the animals that would die if he sent down fire on Nineveh. So, what does this mean for us? The story ends really abruptly. God saves them. Jonah's angry. Jonah's ministry was much more than this. He served Jeroboam. That's written in the Kings. So, we have evidence just outside of here of, of Jonah's ministry. He really was a prophet. 
This wasn't just a story somebody made up. So why does this matter for us? And, and why does it matter for witness in particular? Well, Jonah is sent on a hard mission. And he's sent, in a lot of ways, on the same mission we're in right now. Where do we need to bring the gospel? Okay, we need to bring it next door. But people who have never heard the gospel once, most of them are Muslim, Buddhist, or atheist, or Jewish. It's, it's not an easy target. And so if we're going to do the hard work that we need to do, in fact, Jesus said, Jesus said, the gospel will be preached in all nations and then the end will come. That's what he, those are Jesus' words. Why is Jesus taking so long to come back to the clouds? The angels said at that ascension, he'll come back in the same way. Peter says, don't count it as God is slow. No, he wants everyone to be saved. That's why we're here right now in the New Testament church, still today, all right? So that's why this matters. But let's learn from Jonah so that we get the right mentality. <laughs> all right, Jonah is, like I said, self-righteous. He's not regularly confessing his sin, it would seem. And, you know, it's, it's an implication but it seems to be affecting the way he's seen other people. He's seen himself as the sinless prophet who is just unfortunately in the whale or in the fish. And even in his desperate prayer for salvation, he compares himself to Nineveh. This won't do for world evangelization. It won't do. Um, instead, we need to trust grace, not piety or status. That tends to lead us astray, and it's a temptation for anyone that gets in organized religion. It's just the reality. And we're happy to be in this building. Like, we're happy to have doctrine. We're happy that God instituted the New Testament church. And yet it's easy to come in a suit and say to oneself, well, I'm at least a little better than the guy outside. This is deadly for Jonah. He wants to end his own life. He doesn't even want to live. He's so upset about God's grace. And yet the reality is God's grace is readily available. We see it throughout the book. But not just to Nineveh. The sailors, they don't know who God is, and they just pray and say, Lord, um, we don't want to be guilty of this guy's blood when we have to throw him out of the boat. And so they're praying for a clean conscience. They are more repentant than Jonah. <clears throat> and yet, even though Jonah is struggling with repentance, God is still gracious to Jonah, by the way. Still gives him a second call. Still puts him back on the job. And is teaching Jonah through all of this. So we need, rather, this part of 
practicing grace and confession before God. If I come to the Lord honestly with my sin, where that leaves me is a grateful Christian. And it leaves me as someone who is not comparing. It's hard to realize, but all legalism is hypocrisy. It's not easy to see that for what it is. But when we try to build any identity on being more holy than thou, the reality is we're just ignoring the sin that's there because it's there. And so that's, that's our struggle. And what I'm saying is that when we continue in a practice of confession and continue to be rooted in the grace of God, we will avoid Jonah's mistake of not wanting to share that grace with other people. When I know I'm just a sinner saved by grace, there's no reason why I wouldn't share it with you and you and you. Because we're on a level, level playing field. All right? Now, this means that God will cause, call us to take that grace even to the harder places. So Nineveh didn't uh, want to receive the gospel, or so Jonah would think. And they had walls that were way higher than a, you know, they were something like 10 feet. It's a little hard to tell from the reconstruction in Iraq, and it's a little hard to go there today. But they have reconstructed some of the gates, and there's, there's a lot of, of uh, Nineveh that's, you know, diggable. And so they're finding all of this. It's pretty impressive, especially for the time frame. Nineveh was a scary place just to look at from the outside. And it was apparently huge. It took Jonah a long time just to get through it. So not easy. But God's calling us because his grace really is that wide and it really is that powerful. If Jesus really put us on this mission of reaching the ends of the earth, and if he's really implying that he's waiting for us to get it done, of course he's in charge of it, but he's using us. It, it means that we have to look at the difficult places. Here's an example. My team was eight people. Uh, I became a director of our team in North and East Africa. Me and, and one other were co-directors. We went from eight people to 24 people in the last year and a half. It's a little scary. It's a little hard. Uh, I'm working too many hours. We're working on that. But that is what is needed there because we're trying to move into a northern region that, because this is recorded, I'm not going to tell you by name, but there are 50 tribes in that region, most of which have had no linguistic work done, no Bible translation. 50 groups, more than half of them are Muslim. And here's the crazy thing. They're not in the majority government they're just uh, oppressed and ostracized by the government. And so they're welcoming the help because they would rather have their language translated 
and be able to read their own language than to turn us down. It's crazy. And it's hard. And it's probably going to um, cause people to be incredibly exhausted and challenged over the next several years. And, and it's going to require a lot of money. And yet that's where we need to find ourselves. The reality here is that God was always on this kingdom mission, even back in the days of Jonah. He is using Jonah to spread the gospel to the Gentiles, even in the Old Testament. Because this has been God's plan the whole time. Not easy for us to see sometimes, but God really has had one intention, creating human beings and because they fell into sin, saving them and bringing people from every tribe around the throne so that God will be praised as Habakkuk, another Old Testament prophet, says, as the waters cover the sea, so the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. God's ready to use us here to a, a co-worker who's having a hard day, who's willing to listen to what you have to say, to your family member that's tired of hearing about how churchy you are, and to Guatemala, to East and North Africa, where we are. It's important for us just to simply look at what's preventing us from taking another step. Okay, maybe it is good old-fashioned just being afraid, but maybe it's, I don't like who might enter the room. Maybe it's so-and-so is in a crazy, crazy life of sin. And how is me trying to share the gospel even going to relate to him? Well, the reality is God has intended his grace to work in that situation. And there's nobody that's beyond his reach. In fact, it creates some of the most grateful people. So, I added a few questions on your insert, which I hope you got, just to think through this in the coming week so that you take a step, whether that's sharing the word of God with someone you know, whether it's finding out how to get involved in the ministries that this church does for those that enter the door, or how to support a missionary here or go yourself. I see some people who aren't that old here. <laughs> some people who might be able to be on the mission field one day. May the Lord call, call you and direct you to where he wants you to go. But if he calls you to that hard place, listen. All right, let me pray a moment. Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this powerful example of Jonah who struggles with who you are. But thank you that you are gracious with us when we're sometimes people like him, with Nineveh, 
with people who don't know you at all. Lord, your word is powerful and your grace is incredibly powerful. May we share it with those around us and with this world because who knows, they may just accept you. Lord, thank you for bringing us this opportunity this morning to hear your word. May we not forget it. May we not just look in the mirror, but put it into practice. Thank you, Lord. Amen.